Thanks for being part of KGF Church. Glad that you're a part of this journey with us in this summer of 2020. I'm Phil Wagler, one of the pastoral staff here uh, at KGF Church. Invite you to kgfchurch.com where you can find out more about uh, what's happening in our life as a fellowship. Thank you for your ongoing generosity. We invite you to continue to be a giving people as part of who we are as we uh, move our ministries forward, as we partner with mission in the city and globally. So you can give online or Mondays between 9 and 12, you can come by the office and actually see a human being, which would be awesome as well. Um, I want to invite you into a couple of things. Uh, uh, you'll notice that our Sunday mornings are a little bit shorter in the summer here, our live stream. And that's intentional because we're aiming at a key question that you'll hear. And that question we want you to focus on together in your household. Uh, we want you to take time to ponder it. So though the service time is a little bit shorter, we actually hope that your, the application and the living out of this gets a little longer. And so that's why it's framed a little bit differently. And kids, we really want you engaged as well. So please be part of it and add your voice to what's happening in your household. Uh, in addition, though, to our live stream, we actually have more resources for you this summer. The End of the World as, you, as We Know It is a series I've put together. You can find that at kgfchurch.com listen. The End of the World as We Know It, a seven-part series. Think about what it means to be Christian and what it means to be the church for such a time as this. So you can check that out at any time. It's all there right now. And as we're moving toward uh, living as a hubbed church, KGF hubs throughout our region in this summer and then probably into the fall as so much is changing and will remain uh, different than it has been before. There's KGF in conversation, town hall meetings coming up over the next number of weeks. Pay attention to that. Uh, engage in the conversation as we discern what it means to be the people of God for this time and this moment. You're the church. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Hey everyone, my name's Joel. Hope you're doing well today. Uh, as we enter into a time of worship and a time of hearing from God, uh, let's read this passage together from Psalm chapter 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin.
Jesus' name. 
take a moment in the quietness of our homes, in the quietness of our own hearts. Let's just praise God for his mercy and his forgiveness. You can read over that Psalm 32 again if you want. Just praise the Lord with me. Lord, we thank you that your mercies are new every morning. So welcome to our Hope, so Hope Stories Summer Series. Uh, as you've been experiencing, our Sunday mornings in the summer here are set up a little bit differently. They're, they're shorter, and that's intentional because we really want households to be engaging in this together because as we move toward this time together this morning, having just completed uh, a time of worship and praying together, uh, we're going to end with a question, and I'm going to pose that question to you shortly, but we're going to end with a question that we really want you to talk about and move toward applying and uh, as a hub, a household, uh, even if you're on your own, just processing a question of following Jesus in hope this summer. Uh, this morning, I want to ask you a question before we get to that bigger question for you to talk about is how do you approach somebody who you think is amazing? So I've got my old hockey jacket here. This is the hometown that I grew up in, Wellesley, Ontario. This is the old faded hockey jacket. It's got like the, the proof that we won the championship way back in 1991-92. I was number 82. I played center. It's there, believe it or not. But actually, the reason I want you to see this is because of something that is fading on this shoulder right here. I don't know if you're probably not going to be able to see it, but it's there, just really, really faded. It's an autograph of somebody I was afraid to approach. Um, my wife and I, Jen, we uh, very early in our marriage went to a Toronto Raptors basketball game at what was then Sky Dome Rogers Place in uh, Toronto. We were walking through the uh, promenade, the, the mezzanine area in between uh, during the halftime, 
And as we walk past this old gentleman standing or leaning against the railing just outside the washrooms, I stopped and I said to Jen, I said, is that Johnny Bauer? To which she said, how would I know? And do I care? I think that was a direct quote. Um, but uh, she said, I, I really, how am I supposed to know? So I said, I think, I think it is. She's like, well, go, go talk to him. I'm like, well, I'm scared to talk to him. But Johnny Bauer's not a big guy. I mean, I'm not very tall, but he's even smaller than I was. He's a Hall of Fame goalie for the vaunted Toronto Maple Leafs, my team. The last time the Leafs won the Stanley Cup, I'm pretty sure he was the goalie. I don't even remember. I wasn't even born, but I recognized him. So I walk over gingerly to this railing and this old gentleman standing against it. And I said, excuse me, sir, are, 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 you, are you Johnny Bauer? And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's me. And I was wearing this jacket and I said, hey, would you, would you sign it? And there it is, Johnny Bauer, number one. How do you approach somebody who you're pretty sure is more amazing than anyone you've talked to before? Um, we're in Mark's gospel, Mark chapter two, beginning at verse 13. Listen to this story and listen to the difference Jesus is making in the middle of it. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were the Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does, this, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. It's a really fascinating story. Jesus, just prior to this, at the beginning of Mark chapter 2, had claimed the authority not only to heal, he healed a paralytic who had been dropped by friends through a roof of a house. Jesus had claimed the authority not just to heal, but to forgive sins, that he can bring complete wholeness, physical, emotional, social, because a paralytic was a social outcast, a social problem, and brings spiritual wholeness and healing as well. But now he actually takes it up a notch because he calls a tax collector. And everyone could have compassion and rejoice in the healing of a paralytic. I mean, that would be amazing. Everybody would rejoice in that. But now Jesus amps up the volume on the difference he is making because he calls to himself a tax collector. Jesus comes, you see, to bring wholeness, full restoration. He will undo every assumption that we bring, and he will undo every conclusion that we've made. And the tax collectors and the, you know, the sinners, that's who Jesus is hanging out with here. It's, it's not just that these uh, people, tax collectors and sinners, Levi being the representative here, it's not just that they were social rebels 
and outcasts because they actually were. Uh, the word sinners here actually means that they, these were people who were actually living blatantly and happily outside of the things that God approves of. They had no problem living in a way that would make your grandma cringe, but even more so, were an affront to God's holiness and who he was. This is a social and a spiritual fellowship of outcasts, and they have chosen it. Levi is a social outcast and, a, and an incredible rebel because he is a Jew serving the Roman Empire as, as a tax collector, and he wasn't forced to do that. He chose to do it. He chose to do it. And the stunning thing here and the act of impropriety of Jesus is twofold. On the one hand, it's not just that he hangs out with these people. It's that Jesus has intentionally and purposely called one of their own to follow him. He saw Levi sitting at the tax booth. Jesus has complete understanding of the vocational life of Levi. He saw him at his workplace. And it's that place where a Jew was extorting his own people in order to facilitate the occupation of a Roman enemy. And he observed that the vocational life of Levi was money-centered, self-centered, politically charged, a snubbing of the nose at his own people, at Jesus' own people. And he sees Levi, but he saw who he really was and what he could be. And so Jesus says to Levi, follow me, follow me. And see, Jesus sees our social and spiritual condition, but he still calls. And so on the one hand, he calls Levi, but he also calls Levi and empowers Levi to call Jesus into his circle. So the call on Levi's life empowers Levi to invite Jesus into his circle. The approach of Jesus to Levi awakens an approach to Jesus by Levi into his circle of friends. Levi's approach to Jesus is following and welcoming him into his circle. It's not only that Jesus is willing to go there, and this is part of the scandal that the Pharisees are beginning to question. It's not only that Jesus is willing to go to that place with Levi, it's that Levi is also willing to go there. Levi invites Jesus, the rabbi, who would have been seen as an outcast to tax collectors and sinners, into his world. Jesus represented the very things the tax collectors and sinners were snubbing their noses at. But Levi now invites Jesus into his circle. Rabbis don't do this. But Levi sees Jesus as precisely the person who can bring something missing into his own life and into his social circle. Jesus called Levi to follow him, which he did, but Levi called Jesus to follow him, which he did. That's an amazing thought. For Jesus, restoring people to God, which sets a trajectory for social, emotional, and spiritual renewal, trumps everything. Levi's following and his welcoming is influential. For it says in verse 15 that there were many among the circle of Levi, these tax collectors and sinners who followed Jesus. The story then turned to the Pharisees. 
because they see what Jesus is doing. The social and spiritual upheaval is a mystery to them. Their religious life and their conclusions, all well-meaning and well-attended, well-intended, were a box too small for what they were observing in this moment. They had seen Jesus, and if you go back, the way Mark is telling his gospel, the way he's, un, he's telling the story of Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, they had seen Jesus have authority over demons. They had seen him heal a paralytic and even claim to forgive sins. And now they see him busting what is socially and spiritually acceptable, even politically acceptable because tax collectors were Roman collaborators. So at every level, Jesus is messing with things. But they don't approach Jesus. This is what's interesting. Levi clearly has approached Jesus. The Pharisees approach Jesus' disciples. You see the contrast? Levi brings Jesus into his closest circle. The Pharisees question Jesus from a distance. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus overhears their question, and then he makes his great point in verse 17. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now there's two things that should come to mind in our thinking here. Number one, Jesus' mission is to call sinners. To summon those of us who miss the mark, who live our lives and make decisions and walk down a path of life that is outside of God's will and God's approval. And we're all there. So listen, if you, if I, have heard Jesus call me, it's because I'm a sinner. Because Jesus calls sinners. I'm with Levi at his dinner party. In fact, if I don't realize that's who I am, I'll actually never hear his call. If you live with self-righteousness and pride and you can do it yourself and you don't need anybody else, you won't hear Jesus call. You won't have an approach to him that welcomes him closer. Because Jesus now pokes the Pharisees. He didn't call them. He's not interested in building a movement of those who don't see the sickness of their own social and spiritual reality. It is restored sinners that Jesus will use, not those who conclude they have it all figured out. And so Jesus' mission is to call sinners, those who approach him knowing that's true. Jesus' mission is also to mess with us in the best way, to say things that make us leave his presence pondering deeply what he meant to make us wrestle with our own souls. And so even in this unpacking of this story briefly today, I'm hoping, and as you have conversation in your household, your hub group in the, after this is over, I'm hoping that you will wrestle deeply with the person of Jesus and the hope he intends to bring. I hope there'll be more questions and that you'll be empowered and desire to go deeper into this gospel, into the scriptures, into conversation with people who follow Jesus. Because Jesus will mess with us, make us wrestle with our souls. 
His hanging out with the tax collectors and sinners messed with what the Pharisees assumed about rabbis and what life was really about. Don't you think that even among the tax collectors and sinners that the rabbi Jesus hung out with, don't you think that after he left, there was a lot of pondering about this Jesus? Don't you think the conversations were a little bit different? And his point to the Pharisees messed with what they thought of themselves. If Jesus was casting out demons, healing paralytics, claiming to forgive sins, which were all signs of the Messiah, then why didn't he call them? Why did he call the tax collector? If I'm a Pharisee, I'm leaving this conversation feeling very messed with and maybe beginning to have my own sickness exposed. And so this all leads to the question that we need to wrestle with today. Do I approach Jesus as a tax collector or a Pharisee? He approaches me to call me into his wholeness, his healing of sick sinners. How do I approach him? Do I approach him like a tax collector and invite him further into my life, into the circles of my relationships, into the messy realities of my life? Do I invite him in? Or do I approach him like a Pharisee, observing from a distance and questioning from a distance and seeing what I don't like, hearing what I don't like, convinced that my cultural, ideological, political, or religious circle is right. Jesus is on a mission to call sinners. He sees us. He messes with us. And this is all to bring hope that neither the tax collector life nor the Pharisee life can provide. So do I approach Jesus as a tax collector or a Pharisee? This will be the question you're invited to ask and have conversation about in just a little bit. Let's pray. Jesus, keep messing with us. I need you to mess with me. I need you to call me over and over and over. And I want to approach you with boldness and confidence. And we can do that because you've gone to the cross and you've broken down everything. We can approach God with confidence. We don't need to be afraid. We can say, come closer into my circle. Jesus, some of us just observe you from a distance and we judge you from a distance because we're not honest. We want you to be to us what we want you to be to confirm our likes, our desires, our political hopes, our ideological hopes, the, our, our ethical stuff. We want you to love what we love and your invitation is to call sinners. And that demands a new humility, a different approach. So Lord, uh, meet us today. Inspire us by this gospel truth this good news truth. And also, Lord, speak to us in the stories we're going to hear shortly from Annie Heinrichs. Thank you, Lord. Amen.
How vast is the Father's love for us. It's so great beyond all measure. And we're here this morning with Annie Heinrichs. Annie has been a, a deeply aware of the vastness of the love of God over her lifetime. And Annie, thank you for being with us. I'm excited that you're sharing your story great, with us as a church family this morning. Um, Annie, your life began in the midst of a whole other challenging part of history during World War II, or just before World War II, I guess, but your story began, your life began on the run. Is that kind of how it feels? Could you tell us a little bit of that story? Our life did begin on a run when the German army lost to the Russian army and retreated and insisted that all the Germans go with them and uh, we were packed into cattle cars, 1943 in fall, 
Wow. And it uh, took about a week until we came to Poland. How old were you? I was six years old. 19, six years old. That's... 1943. Wow. Yes. Do you have a lot of vivid memories of that? Um, I have childhood memories of all of that, but I've done a lot of research uh -huh. later, a lot of reading, a lot of endless stories from a mom that refreshed those memories and my reading brought it up to date into today's political situation yeah. at that time. Wow, what, a, what an amazing and troubling way to start your life. But of course, I guess you wouldn't have known any different. That was just kind of what was happening. Wow, could you, like in the midst of that, you know, eventually you came to Canada, obviously, but in the midst of that is a story of faith, both of your family, I guess, but there's also, you had to discover the presence of Jesus in that. Can you tell us a bit about that story or that path? Looking back at how God led our family, I can only praise and thank him for the way he undertook for us. So after tra uh, traveling through Poland, Czechoslovakia, East Germany, we finally made it to West Germany. And there we were brought to a small, very small farming community, very close to the Dutch border, and uh, placed on individual. Uh, my grandmother, her three daughters, and us eight great grandkids were placed on three different farms. And um, there was a man in that little village who had been a prisoner of war in Russia, and he knew what we had gone through. So he undertook for our family, or took us under his wings, wow. and introduced us to the small Baptist chapel in that one street village. Huh. And uh, that is where I first became aware of scripture, of Bible stories, memorizing Bible verses, and just enjoying the freedom of living for almost three years Wow! in quietness and peace before we departed for Canada. Wow. So you've, you've, at this point in your life, you're about nine yes. then, so you've moved from South Ukraine, South Russia at right. that point, Soviet Union, you've moved to, the, to Holland. Now you're starting to hear the stories of Jesus. Then you get to Canada. I'm sure that we could spend a whole lot of time talking about that adventure. But tell us a little bit about how you made your own decision to follow Jesus. How did that happen? My first awareness, re real awareness of what Jesus had done for us on the cross was in a Sunday school class where they used a chemical, a chemistry situation to turn red water white. <laughs> and that made it so clear to me wow. that Jesus took our red sins and made us white as snow. Wow. And at that point, I was probably 11. And shortly after that, um, South Abbotsford Church had even services with Pastor Esau, a blind pastor, but he was so good. And he made it very clear that we were lost unless we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior. Mm. And perhaps initially, my response to Jesus was more one of fear rather than completely understanding his love for us. That took time. Mm. So t talk a little bit about that. How... You know, having experienced, like, 
nowadays we'd say, you know, Annie suffered a lot of trauma as a kid, <laughs> uh, right? And, and yet Jesus comes into your life. How has the person of Jesus, how has Jesus, your Savior, become more and more real to you over these years? As I grew up and joined the young people's uh, group at church, and we had switched to the West Abbotsford Church by then, which is now level ground. Mm -hmm. Um, and at our young people's meetings, they stressed over and over again, we needed to have our private devotions. Mm. And to me, that was something no, new again. And uh, it made an impact on me as I read God's word for myself. In the meantime, my parents had both dedicated their life or rededicated their life to the Lord and started um, family devotions at home. And to see my parents in humbleness before the Lord, because they were not educated people or anything like that, but they were so happy and thankful mm. for every day being in Canada, for having gone through all those hardships, and yet God had been with us all the way through. And that combined uh, gave me a clear understanding of who Jesus really was to me. Mm -hmm. Then when I entered university, there was another new experience, and that was um, the, the Christian organization at the university asked if anyone wanted to attend Bible studies. And uh, my girlfriend and I, we signed up, and unfortunately there were just the two of us with this young fellow. And it was a totally different way of looking at the Bible, more like we look at it today. And we didn't quite know how to answer his questions. We were, I'm not quite sure. Hmm. We just were not on the same uh, level. So we finally said to the young man, we thanked him, but we would not attend anymore. <laughs> and it wasn't until years later after Arthur and I got married and we moved to Edmonton, that one of my friends said, Annie, I would like to invite you to a Bible study with non-Mennonite people attending. <laughs> and that was a huge stepping stone in my path of... Hearing faith. from the wider body of Christ. Yes. Okay. Yes. Wow. And it opened my heart and mind to others, not just the Mennonite faith. Mm -hmm. And to see that they were equally as sincere in accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, following him in their daily walk, hmm. living with him, and that had a great impact on me. So I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm hearing a few things which are really powerful. One is the impact of your parents' humility and recommitting to Jesus. Yes. I'm hearing your, your own personal time with Jesus in the Word and prayer and then the wider experience of the body of Christ. Yes. And all those things bringing your faith in Christ and his presence more real. Yes, Is it? absolutely. Yeah. That's really, that's so beautiful. You know, one of the things I wonder, you know, I, just, I would love to talk to you for hours about all this stuff, but the, um, like now we're in this new, another historical moment. We're in the midst of a pandemic and 
it's, of course, much different than going through a world war or some of the things that you've experienced in your life up to this moment. But I wonder what you would say to, to me, to people in their 20s, to teenagers, to kids in the midst of another kind of unprecedented time when everybody's trying to figure out what life is about. How, how do you, what would you say to us about knowing Jesus now in a time like this? It's probably more important now to know Jesus than it was then almost. Hmm. We are in precarious times that are so uh, almost connected to end times. Hmm. And it's urgent that we make our life right with God, hmm. to start a relationship with God. And in that relationship, I would say, make it of a great priority not to hold grudges mm -hmm. and the other one to mm -hmm. forgive the past ah. because there's a lot in the past that one can drag into one's life and the after effects of unforgiveness are huge huh. that's a powerful word annie and that's the difference jesus makes right yes. he goes right to those places and restores i'm i'm just really grateful for you joining us today Thank you so much for sharing even just this little snippet of your story and encouraging us. And uh, church, as we uh, wrap up our time together this morning, I want to invite you back to that question that we asked earlier as we looked at the story of the call of Levi in Mark chapter 2. And it so relates to what Annie's talking about. Is do I approach Jesus as a tax collector or a Pharisee? How do I come toward him? And in the midst of all that we're going through, how do I come to him? His invitation and his call is still as real today as it was for Annie and as it, is, uh, as it was in the days of Levi and the New Testament. Uh, it's for you. So how do you approach Jesus? As a tax collector or as a Pharisee? What we long for you to do in the household you're in right now, the hub group that you're a part of, is just turn to one another and start discussing that question. That can be a little scary, maybe it feels vulnerable, but as Annie just pointed out, to go to those places is the place where we meet Jesus and find healing and hope for times like this. Thanks for being part of KGF Church. Glad that you're a part of this journey with us in this summer of 2020. I'm Phil Wagler, one of the pastoral staff here uh, at KGF Church. Invite you to kgfchurch.com where you can find out more about uh, what's happening in our life as a fellowship. Thank you for your ongoing generosity. We invite you to continue to be a giving people as part of who we are as we uh, move our ministries forward, as we partner with mission in the city and globally. So you can give online or Mondays between 9 and 12, you can come by the office and actually see a human being, which would be awesome as well. Um, I want to invite you into a couple of things. Uh, uh, you'll notice that our Sunday mornings are a little bit shorter in the summer here, our live stream, and that's intentional because we're aiming at a key question that you'll hear. And that question we want you to focus on together in your household. Uh, we want you to take time to ponder it. So though the service time is a little bit shorter, we actually hope that your, the application and the living out of this gets a little longer. 
And so that's why it's framed a little bit differently. And kids, we really want you engaged as well. So please be part of it and add your voice to what's happening in your household. Uh, in addition, though, to our live stream, we actually have more resources for you this summer. The End of the World as, you, as We Know It is a series I've put together. You can find that at kgfchurch.com listen. The End of the World as We Know It, a seven-part series. Think about what it means to be Christian and what it means to be the church for such a time as this. So you can check that out at any time. It's all there right now. And as we're moving toward uh, living as a hubbed church, KGF hubs throughout our region in this summer and then probably into the fall as so much is changing and will remain uh, different than it has been before. There's KGF in conversation, town hall meetings coming up over the next number of weeks. Pay attention to that. Uh, engage in the conversation as we discern what it means to be the people of God for this time and this moment. You're the church. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.